If they decide I want to read Batman, they want to read everything Batman ever, you know, appeared in, and it, they don't work like that. No, no, it's That's, not linear. You'd be, you'd go crazy if you had to read Batman from 1939 onward, right? Just right. to get into it for now. There's no continuity. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, you'd never catch up. You remember when he lived in a house in the suburbs with the with another man that was about the same age? <laughs> I think he still does that. They don't talk about it, though. No, but it was like a couple of 40-year-old guys. Yeah. Oh, man. For listeners who don't know, uh, Batman the Serial. Yeah, the second one. Yeah. The second one. Don't watch the first one if you can avoid it. It's it's really in poor taste now. It's straight up racist, like straight out the gate, though. You yeah, it's not. You don't get surprised by it. Like the first minute of narration, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a product of its time. I there's so many bad things I want to say right now that I'm just not going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wish they had done that in the 1966 Batman series. <laughs> oh come on, Adam uh, West wouldn't do that. No. Well, let's have all those authentic Egyptians playing King Tut and so on. Yeah. 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 Victor Bueno. <laughs> all right. Authentic eggheads. Yeah, we had Vincent Price in it. That's something anyway. Well, let's intro it. Let's do this thing. Because um, we got to get to this Blade 2 business real soon. Listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we friends get together and talk about a horror movie, which we will spoil. First, we talk about Recently Watched, which we try not to spoil, and we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find their music on Apple Music or Amazon, where you can buy it digitally, or say hello to them on Facebook, where they are, The Moon Dash Rays. And we are not professional critics... We're just your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolian. Hello. We're doing this virtually one last time at least. Uh, Make sure that uh, Will's new kidney doesn't um, catch anything it shouldn't. Yeah. And we're afraid that that he got a donation from a murderer. That could lead to... Well, almost certainly. Yeah. Last episode I wanted to talk about... Now, Will, I know I mentioned to you via text to look up that episode of Twilight Zone called The Hand of Borgus Weems. But there, oh, yes. But there's also one where you don't even need an organ or a hand. Um, there's one where it was uh, some gangster's shoes, and this, like, regular guy puts on these fancy shoes and becomes, like, this really villainous gangster. Starts bossing... Was it called Gangster's Shoes? <laughs> Probably. Because... If it wasn't, I don't want to watch it, but if it was called Gangster Shoes. There's about a 98% chance that when uh, Rod Serling was introing it, that there was smoke coming up from his clasped hands where his cigarette, his ever-present cigarette was burning. And I joke Uncle about Kamal that. in these shoes. It'll take you down the green mile. <laughs> right. Ooh. I like that. So guys, uh, recently watched, who wants to start? I can do a fast one. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so I watched the, the Blade trilogy. I watched, um, uh, well, I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts, mostly. Did you listen to that, that Gilbert Gottfried one I sent you? Um, I didn't listen to that episode yet, but I have listened to oh, it you have to. a you bunch. Have to. Yeah. And uh, because you, you love it as a JFK 
conspiracy nut. Conspiracy, yeah, nut. Um, All right. And, and did you, did, Will, did you listen, to, did you watch that Alan Moore one? Secret Life No, I haven't. Moore? Oh, I'll wow. Have to check it out. Yeah. Oh, well, so I can't talk about those. Um, oh. Well, I don't want to spoil them. Um, <laughs> I don't care about spoilers. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> I watched uh, one movie, which is a disappointment, you'll be glad to hear. Uh, <laughs> this is a 1974 movie called Merry, Merry, Bloody Mary. Oh, man. And this is directed by uh, uh, Juan Lopez Moctezuma, um, who was a producer on some of the Jodorowsky uh, movies. Um, but he, he did a really uh, strange couple of films, uh, one called Dr. Tar's Torture Dungeon, which is based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. And uh, he did a, 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 a terrific one called Alicarda. Um, so I was, I was hoping this would be interesting at least. But uh, it's not. It's like it, it was his US co-production film. Um, this is about uh, this uh, woman who's uh, uh, traveling around Mexico. And she's an artist and they... They show her paintings, all done by uh, Rosa Rosenberg. Um, she's played by Christina uh, Ferrari, who was the uh, wife of uh, John DeLorean. <laughs> Is he a familiar name to you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a shark stabbing. Um, there's a breathing corpse. Um, there's a, but anyway, she's she's got a condition where she needs to drink blood, and so she will like knock off people here and there. Um, it's it's uh, bits of it that are reminiscent of Jean Rilam. Uh When it's not bogged down in the plot, it gets more interesting. Um, I like the art galleries. Um, I like that uh, in the mid-70s, vampire films were more uh, ambiguous. There was like, um, they weren't just ambiguous about genders anymore. They were you, they also had you wondering if there were actually any vampires in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just not that good. Uh, John Carradine turns up. Oh. What? He's, he's got this... Uh, you see this character running around who turns out to be John Carradine. But it's obviously not him because this character's really spry and doing all this stunt car chases and running up and down hills and stabbing people and... Um, and he's dressed in this House of Wax outfit, so it's this like black cloak and this big floppy hat, so you can't tell what he looks like. But then uh, when they reveal it's uh, John Carradine, he's, he's, there's these big close-ups of his his arthritic hands and stuff. Pretty, pretty horrific. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I can't say I recommend this one. Do I'm you know afraid. if John Carradine stood or stood still long enough? Bad movies would form around him, <laughs> so he was forever on the go. That sounds right. <laughs> Tragic, really. Oh man, was that he, he could he could they you know it, a lot of these movies that he's in for just a speech or two. They could fly him in, and uh, he'd uh, he'd like learn his lines on the spot, and then deliver his speech, and then. Then he jabbed. Off he goes. But he'd, just, you know, he'd, he'd nail it. Didn't sound bad. Yeah, he was a, you know, he was a pro. Yeah. yeah. I watched Terror at the Wax Museum this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he pretty would, bad. He sort, of, he sort of experienced what Bela Lugosi experienced being around Ed Wood, except for it lasted a couple decades long. Mm-hmm. And he was a participant in it willingly, or more willingly, I should say. Oh, but he appeared in plenty after he died. They were still yes. well, yeah. putting his footage and things. So, yeah, he I think, even out. Think Lugosi only did one. Yeah. Yeah. One posthumous yeah. appearance. <laughs> I wonder what the last, last film John Carradine appeared in. Hmm. Knowingly? You know, what year did that come out? Oh, that'd be in the eighties, wouldn't it? <laughs> you would think, but <laughs> Yeah, it's I wonder, you know. Yeah, it's crazy when you start getting into stuff like uh you know, oh, who was it that was putting uh 
that was trying to put um, Larry Fine and Mo Howard into a movie. I'm trying to remember mm. who that was, but uh, they weren't well enough to be making movies. You know, they were in very poor health. And I think Mo didn't make it like the last thing he was trying to film. I don't think he made it. I don't think he lived through filming. But uh, yeah, stuff like that. It's so crazy. Um, yeah. Now they can just animate you. I would kind of prefer that sometimes, but maybe it loses some of the nuance. Yeah, I think we have enough actors. We don't need to reanimate people, you know. We can just use new actors. No. Uh, no, Hollywood's all about... It just seems kind of sick to use somebody's likeness that they don't have any choice in. Yeah. I mean, granted, they're dead. They don't care, but still. Right. You know. sure... You shouldn't defile. Did you see that awful Star Wars Rogue One movie with the Grandma Tarkin? Oh. Yes, and I said Grandma Tarkin. <laughs> <laughs> He's so creepy in that. I oh oh the, yes, yeah. it's awful. Yeah, the, it's so bad. It's just yeah they mm. they dropped Peter Cushing right into the uncanny valley, didn't they? Yeah. Did you have anything else, Julian? No, that's it. Will, what about you? Well, speaking of Peter Cushing, I watched uh, Doctor Who and the uh, Daleks, or Daleks, uh, the non-canon Doctor Who, where he, uh, he he's an old doddering man who built a time machine. He's not really a time lord, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. It was about as entertaining as most of those. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know the storytelling's always well beyond the budget or anything Um, there wasn't much story there though they show up there's a it's kind of the time machine except instead of Morlocks they have Daleks yes and then the Eloy are uh, I don't remember what they call them but they're all gray faced pacifist and uh then they're they're taught to fight so uh, they can i remember watching that when i was a kid i I liked it because it had uh peter cushing had uh roy castle who was this big personality in britain Mm -hmm. and um and there was also a scene where one of the eloy characters looks into a stream and vanishes i found that creepy yeah that was creepy it wasn't terrible. I, I could see if I watched it as a kid, I would have been entertained. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I like the yeah. second one much better, where it's the I'll Daleks to... invading London. Okay, I'll have to find that one to watch next. So yeah, I'll bring it along next time we have a. Oh, okay. We meet cool. up. Excellent. Um, let's see what else did I watch? I watched a Jess Franco film. Oh, called uh, uh, "Girl from Rio." Oh, yes. Um, not a lot happening. Um, uh-huh. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some girls in some snazzy costumes. So, yes. you know, it, if you if you like that sort of thing, it's right up your alley. You know, it's, it's Jess Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts out with a nude woman under a net writhing around. And it only gets better from there. All right. Um, there's a sort of James Bond character who has to infiltrate some sort of femme city. Uh, they this keep saying where, it's a... Is this one with Shelley Eaton as the uh, leader? <gasps> I think so. Yeah, she, she isn't Goldfinger. She was, she was the golden girl. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, they keep saying it's a city, but it, there's basically one office building, one sort of brutalist office building in downtown wherever. Uh, uh, Rio, I suppose, is where they say it is. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and then there's a big shootout at the end and it's over. And, and you know, satisfying enough. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else did I watch? I watched a lot of things. 
Uh, I watched a fantastic Italian film, and that's only because it's Italian. There was nothing else good about it. Uh, <laughs> called Rats, or The Rats. Oh, yes. Um, if you want to see a movie where post-apocalyptic punks, and I use that loosely, um, wander around a building... And as their friends are picked off one by one by rats, so they come around the corner and they'll see their friends shoot up corpse, and they'll go, oh, my God, and then they'll run away, and then somebody else gets eaten, and that goes on for the entire runtime. Yes. And then there's a twist at the end that oh, I will spoil. So, <laughs> so weird. Uh, exterminators show up and start gassing everybody. You think they're gassing the rats, but it turns out they're gassing the people because... They pull their mask off at the end, and it, they're a rat themselves. Only the face doesn't really read as the rat. It reads more of just a black thing with eyes. Um, it's kind of got a furry appearance. Uh, bizarre. Not not a recommend on my on my part, unless you want to watch people walk around walk. You know, a, basically a big maze for an hour and a half. The thing I really didn't like was they they set rats on fire in some scenes. Yeah, there is a there. Yeah, it's real hard with a lot of Italian films. They just yeah. don't care about the actors or the animals or anything. Um, I admire their dedication to art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not really, but <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm also certain most of the rats are poor white rats that they dyed gray. And I don't imagine that's good for the poor things. Um, only reason I can watch something like that is it was made in the early eighties. So none of those rats would be alive now anyway. So those pasto rats, I don't care about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what else? I watched a, uh, documentary on Amber Crombie and Fitch oh. uh, because I wanted something light and stupid and it was uh, it was alright um, they were a reprehensible company um, that really discriminated against people of color uh, yeah less said about them the better probably uh, but it led me to a, uh, another documentary. I don't know why these are linked other than their documentaries, but I watched, uh, something about witches, a hundred years of murder in, uh, uh, the United Kingdom or Britain. And, uh, uh, the second episode was about witch finder general, Matthew Hopkins, a charming fellow yes. all around good guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, man, I didn't realize how much money he was making. Oh, tons. He was just tons of money. And then he flat out lied about it, which isn't surprising because, you know, lying's yeah, the least your problems there. If you're paid by the witch, then you're going to find witches. Uh-huh. And he was paid for, you know, other things, too. It was, it was an all-around service he provided, you know, mm -hmm. so... We'll build the scaffolds and that'll cost you eight shillings. And, you know, but one time he got like 23 pounds, uh, which was, I don't know, I, I looked it up. It was about 5,000 pounds today. So for one go round of, you know, witch finding. Um, you know, when I don't know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. I think that's... It was actually a pretty good little documentary. It had some nice atmosphere with little reenactments. Um, let's see. I think that's probably enough for now. I've, like I said, I've been watching movies pretty much the entire time sitting in my room here. Um, not a whole lot of winners, but I've not been seeking out winners. I've been seeking out bad movies because I enjoy a good bad movie, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you have two. Too often they're, they're so boring though. You know, that's the, the right. ultimate sin as we've said, you know, so. But you have Tubi at your disposal, don't you? I have Tubi. Yes. And, uh, it's endless. Uh, 
yeah, I have Prime and I have Netflix and uh, I could reactivate Hulu if I needed to, but... But why would you? Yeah. There's no real need. Well, so that's it for you recently watched? Yeah, it's enough for now. Okay, I've got... Uh, Let's see, a couple episodes, two or three episodes, I'm going to say three episodes of the new season of Cursed Films on Shudder. I I watched The Wizard of Oz and uh, Rosemary's Baby, and I did start Serpent and the Rainbow, but I didn't finish it. But uh, this is a good, this is a good quote unquote season. Uh, We've got... uh, those those three movies plus Stalker and Cannibal Holocaust. So these are uh, these are good. Um, I like the production values on this kind of docu series, and uh, they they put some money into licensing some of the scenes and uh, uh, you know getting some archival footage as well as new interview footage. Um, it's funny. There's myths and legends about movies that sometimes you just think are never going to go away. Like, Oh, one of the munchkins hanged themselves and you can see it in the background. And we're pretty sure that never happened, but there's one guy who's like this really cuckoo collector guy who's like, you have to have this particular copy of the VHS and you can see it, but they cleaned it up and used a different take in this version and so on and so forth. And it's like, no, it's not true. <clears throat> it's it's a bird. It's a stork. Yeah. Jumping around in the background. Yeah. But he swears, no, you can compare them side by side. It's he, not like the ghost of Ted Danson and three men and a baby. Right. <laughs> that was really Ted Danson's spirit. The movie's so bad. His spirit left his body. That movie. It's so funny. That movie was one of the first ones I remember that, had some lore that kind of popped up. And uh, when the camera's panning through that room, it does look like a creepy kid behind a door. But then when you realize that there's that cardboard cutout of him, <clears throat> it's like, no, it's just his stupid cardboard cutout. It's in another scene and you can totally see the damn thing. But it, mm. it does look like. Yeah, a- I think that was probably one of the first ones. That one and the the munchkin hanging themselves and. In the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And there's uh, there's some subliminal stuff that some animators sneaked into some Disney. Uh, you know, like, I want to say The Little Mermaid and maybe Aladdin. But uh, between uh, video box covers and uh, some stuff sneaked into the animation, it's like, yeah. Outside of that, there's not a lot that... Uh, I think when you watch Twilight Zone, the movie... You do actually see the moment of uh, Vic Morrow and those two kids dying <clears throat> when that helicopter crashes or explode. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you do see the moment of their death, but they're not really visible in the scene. But but it's well, I've seen the documentary that they show that that scene and it's this massive explosion. Yeah, I think water. I, I, I see anything. Yeah, I think the prop from the helicopter kills them. And then the, the prescribed explosion happens afterward, you know, whether they used a take where it happens on screen or not. And, uh, of course the crow is another one. Um, there's stuff like that where it's, it's like, yeah, it's hard to avoid it. It happens. Accidents happen in movies. It's even happened. Especially Italian ones. Oh man. I bet. There's, there's probably a lot of uh, stuntmen who didn't get to make another movie because they're too too injured after making some of those. But anyway, uh, that's good. Uh, definitely jump back in if you've been watching it. If not, now you've got two seasons. Uh, the first season had Exorcist, The Omen, Poltergeist, The Crow, and the aforementioned Twilight Zone, the movie. So there's that. It's on Shudder. I watched something called Satanic. Uh, it's a 2016 movie. Um, I'm not sure what they were trying to do, but um, I think they're trying to do like 
somebody doing like what's called dark tourism and there are willing participants and an unwilling participant in this thing. Like they're going to go to this, this group of young people are going to go to Coachella. They're not from LA. So they arrive there from, from, uh, somewhere else. I, I can't honestly remember where they're supposed to be from. Long uh, beach. Let's say Ohio, maybe Venice. Yeah. They're, they're from like Ohio or Kansas or someplace. Garden Grove. Sure. They're from, they're, they're from Spokane, Washington. Okay. <laughs> that would work. Uh, anyway, uh, the bunch of people in their supposed teens and they're going to visit several, several occult sites while they're on their way to Coachella. Sure. Seems reasonable. Why not? I've known people who've done things like this. Uh, they are going to stay at the flower hotel where a satanic priestess committed suicide in 1972. And of course they have a Ouija board, which they play with. And, uh, they end up with some young woman who, uh, I don't want to get too much into the so-called plot of this, but they wouldn't, <laughs> they witness an almost ritual killing and then later rescue the young woman who was almost ritual, almost ritual, almost ritually killed. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought it was an almost ritual. It was, you know, it was it, just a secular killing after all. Yeah. It wasn't. It was but they didn't put the pans out right or light enough candles. Right. And if wasted time. Yeah. Can't believe we drove all the way from Spokane to see this shit. <laughs> I want my twenty dollars back. All the way from Glen Carbon, Illinois. <laughs> uh I think we have more listeners in Brazil still than we do in Illinois. Anyway. Probably. Uh, so uh, they're kind of invoking the names of, you know, like uh, Sharon Tate. They're mentioning the Church of Satan. Um, and it just doesn't do anything terribly interesting uh, in the last act of the film where it should ramp it up and do something really crazy. It just kind of gets boring. And then it, then it attaches itself to the beginning of the movie and kind of gives you a loop. A bullshit loop, uh, which is the worst kind of loop. Anyway, um, Satanic 2016 movie, don't bother. Uh, but then do bother watching L7 Pretend We're Dead. Oh, yeah. This is a good, nice. it's a good documentary about the band. Uh, I've told my story on the show before once or twice about how I saw them live in Seattle back in the day. And uh, this was kind of... I would say sort of past the prime of the so-called grunge era, but this is a hard rock slash punk band, whatever you want to call them. They got tired of people pointing out that they were an all female band. I'm pretty sure they were aware of that fact, but uh, they were trying to play the kind of music they were trying to play. And uh, they were having some good success and they just sort of plateaued as far as record sales and whatnot, but the audiences loved them. And, uh, this really shows you why. And, uh, kind of the rise of the band. Uh, I don't know if you could say the fall of the band. I mean, all, not all bands make it forever, but, uh, L seven were great. And yeah. I saw them as they're one of the bands I've seen most often. Yeah. Did you, did, yeah. I, did I ever ask you this or, or did I ever tell the story on the show? I assumed I had, uh, when I saw them in Seattle, how they they had pulled young girls out of the audience and traded places with them. Mm -hmm. Did they do yeah. that? Did they do that when you saw them? No. It was such a cool move because <laughs> they just got some riff going and some beat going, and then just one by one, each member pulled a. You know, it was an all ages show, so they pulled like a twelve or thirteen year old girl that was clearly really into the show, pulled them up on stage, put their guitar around their neck, showed them where to put their hands, and played the notes, and then walked off. And then by the end of the show, there was a bunch of girls who weren't L7 finishing the show. And then they just yeah. cut the lights, cut the sound, and it was over. And That's the, nice. Their faces were priceless, these young ladies. It was so cool. But yeah. yeah. But L7, for the whole like hour, hour and a half they play, they just tear it up the whole time. And yeah, they did. Yeah. They're great with um, audience repartee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dealing with hecklers and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not to be messed with. 
at all. So, it's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a lot of great uh, uh, footage from the road, uh, great interviews, really just a, you know, I would say if somebody's not familiar with L7 but likes that kind of music, watch this and then you'll be a new fan. Uh, this came out in 2017. It's an hour and 33 minutes. Will, you don't have to watch the credits. You can just watch the first 90, okay. first 90 minutes. You'll be fine. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big recommend from my list. And then Blade 2. So, Jolien, you picked this. Yes. Um, Guillermo del Toro directed this. Yes. And um, we had uh, Wesley Snipes, who was the star of the first one, also stars in this, but he is a producer in this one as well. Right. So he helped them get it right for a second movie. Uh, so why'd you pick this one? Uh, I really liked it. It was, it was the first movie I thought uh, did a Marvel comic right. Yeah. Got the feel of it. Uh, you know, right down to the Kirby Crackle. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was really pleased with that. Just in this successful movie. I love the soundtrack as well. Um, Wesley Snipes was still bothered. Yeah. yeah like in the third movie, he, he was like, Staying in his trailer and smoking pot. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this one rocked, uh, and uh, you know, it had inventive twists on the vampire lore. And, um, it, it was really fun. So this, so I, I wanted to re-see it. So this one uh, came out March twenty second, two thousand two. Um, it had a uh, a budget of fifty four million dollars. And it made a hundred and one million on top of that. It made one fifty-five, so um, it was a successful sequel, which you can't always say. Um, but it seemed like everyone involved did a really honest day's work to get this thing made. They weren't phoning it in, at least not yet. You know, we'll talk about that for part three someday. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, Wesley's not phoning it in. Um, I, co I couldn't tell you to save my life who directed the third one, but um, um, well, let's see. I could probably look that up. David Goyer. Who the hell's that? Oh, he's the writer. He's the writer oh. of this. So he, he wrote all three of them. Okay. Um, yeah, he was the he was one of the main uh, computer uh, comics movies writers back in the day. Yeah, didn't he do the Nick Fury one? Um. Yes. Hang on, I've got some notes on what he did somewhere in here. He started on Buffy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he, he was a screenwriter on, on Blade, uh, one, two, and three. Nick Fury, the TV movie with uh, David Hasselhoff. Okay. Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman. Mm, quality. Yeah. Evidently, Del Toro was not impressed with him. <laughs> Did he say as much? Yeah. <laughs> Evidently, the commentary track is he's he's uh, he says something like, "There's a certain charm to the exposition dumping, but <laughs> it's a lot of real clunky dialogue." He seemed to think in this. <clears throat> the uh, action sequences don't hold back. Um. The characters don't need to do anything really new. I mean, we we already know who Blade is, right? And uh, but he has to throw in with the vampires in this one. Yeah, and then you get the weird yeah. the weird predator mouth vampires. Now they yeah. weren't they Re weren't reapers. Yeah, they weren't in the first one, were they? No, no, they're new. Yeah, I kind of liked those guys. Um. So the plot starts with um, Blade searching Prague. At first I thought it was Budapest, but it was Prague. <laughs> He's looking for his mentor, Abraham, uh, who, uh, who was thought to be dead, um, but was turned into a vampire and held prisoner. So uh, Blade wants to rescue and cure Whistler, Abraham Whistler. And... Uh, and let's see. Entry legend, legend Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Um, that was kind of a, a weird choice, but 
I'm not necessarily a weird choice, but it was strange to see such a familiar face, kind of like um, Peter Fonda in, uh, was it Nadja? Was it Nadja that he was in? Nadja the Vampire movie, yeah. Yeah, was yeah it, I think so. It wasn't The Addiction, or maybe it was The Addiction. I get those two kind of mixed up sometimes because they came out right around the same time, but... Yeah, when, when you see somebody familiar like Peter Fonda or Chris Christopherson, it's like, huh, I know that guy. <laughs> but uh, he does a good job in this. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's rolling his eyes at the script or anything. He seems to take it seriously. But um, what's making the vampires into reapers? Do they explain that? Yeah, there's what a... What do they do? Is it a virus? <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, it's a... Uh... <clears throat> turns out it's genetically engineered by the head vampire uh, uh, to kind of create a new race of vampires. Super vampire? Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're kind of they're because kind of... they can't be staked. They you know, basically sunlight's the only thing that kills them. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's working on that. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the uh, overlord of the vampires is uh, Damaskinos, um, which is Greek for plum, as far as I know. Uh, but anyway, he, he's got this uh, organization called Caliban Industries. Okay. And um, yeah, that, so they've got this like engineering plant in there. Where they're, they're trying to make a super vampire. And uh, the the bite of this vampire from from this reaper. Will turn a human into a vampire, but it'll also turn a vampire into a reaper, right? Is that is that the is that the story? I don't think it turns a human into a vampire. No, okay. I think they only feed on vampires. Oh, okay, okay. Well, so they're not trying to make more reapers. They just well, they are because it is it does infect vampires who are bitten. Okay. That's what I thought I got from this. Yeah. I should remember to watch these the day before we do the show. It's been, it's been a few nights. Um, so there's a vampire nightclub uh, where we first um, see the, uh, the, the people investigate or the vampires investigating this uh, meet the Reapers. Oh, that'd be a good sitcom. Meet the Reapers. <laughs> meet the reapers yeah i like that and uh and this is where they find out that these new vampires are immune to most of the stuff that kills a vampire and uh this is kind of like one of those things where the you you made the the big threat of the movie even worse by making it impervious to the usual um the usual cure which yeah, just, that's a good, good move for a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, rather than just make the same movie over again. Uh, yeah, and you also got the the, the idea that uh, the vampires that he has to lead, they're called the Blood Pack, and they're the very team that have been trained to kill him. Yeah. So right. that, that's where they, they've got their skills. And that, uh, so there's a... One of them is uh, Reinstadt, who's played by Ron Perlman. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's still got a lot of animosity going. Um, but the others seem to uh, you know, work with him for the, the, you know, the uh, greater good, as it were. Yeah, they seem to have some sort of grudging respect for Blade. Yeah. <clears throat> he's, the, uh, uh, he's too much of a pro to to not be respected, right? I mean, he's just too good at what he does. Right. They're, they're that kind of Terence Hill routine where he meets them and he does the, uh, the slapping around of uh, Reinstadt. <laughs> you got to establish a pecking order. Yeah. I think that happens in a lot of these movies. Um, it does it. Do you feel like it does a lot to remind us that it's based on a comic book or do you start? To oh get yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I, I don't get I don't get very lost in it as a movie before I kind of feel like it's going, oh, yeah, based on a comic book. And I and I can't even specifically say every moment that it does that. But I can say that 
you don't forget that's what it is while you're watching it. And that's not a criticism. That's just an observation. Yeah, on the uh, one of the, uh, I think the, was it the uh, visual consultant on this was Mike Mignola? Yeah. So And yeah. Tim Bradstreet. Mm-hmm. I wondered if this was uh, where Mignola and uh, and uh, Del Toro, if if this didn't bring them together, or if Del Toro brought Mignola on because he was familiar with his work before this, or what exactly that story yeah, is. There's lots of people in this who have worked with Del Toro in other movies, like uh, Luke Goss was in Hellboy Two, and uh, of course you got uh, Ron Perlman. Uh, Mike Mignola, um, you've got uh, uh, Josh is wearing a BPRD shirt. Yeah. Didn't Hellboy come out after this? I think so. Yeah, I thought it was a couple of years after. But uh, I need to rewatch those movies. I haven't watched those since they came out. Right. Uh, just like this one, I hadn't, I hadn't watched this since it came out on video, I believe. I don't believe I ever watched the third one. Okay. <laughs> uh, or or the third Hellboy, for that matter. It wasn't the third Hellboy. Yeah, right. I know. Okay. <laughs> Just like there was no Star Wars after Empire Strikes Back. Sadly, the unfinished trilogy. <laughs> but we all get to make up the last one. It's even better. Yeah, there's a there's a great quote from Wesley Snipes where he says, I love playing this role. It's fun as an actor to test your skills at doing a sequel to see if you could recreate something that you did. Which is funny to hear that he was kind of phoning it in for the third one, which either I don't remember or I didn't see. But I do know it's on Netflix. So I'll probably give that a look. Um, Peter Frankfurt said... Wesley is Blade. So much of the character was invented by Wesley and his instincts are spot on. He takes his fighting, his weapons and attitude very seriously. He's incredibly focused, but he's also very cool and very fun. Um, And Blade was also taken down for tax evasion in the comic (laughs) books. Oh, poor celebrities and their money management. I don't know what it is. Ah, what is it? But uh, when when he's in this character, you don't confuse him for any other movie he's been in. Like, he really is Blade when he's in these movies, at least these yes. first two. And, uh, yeah, it, it's nice to see someone get that deep into character. It's pretty cool. You know, uh, I don't know what being inconsistent would look like, but uh, but this looks good. I mean, there's not a moment... And and it's very comic book esque and very ridiculous that he can throw that boomerang bladed thing and uh, catch it and all that stuff. You know, everything's so precision. Every move he makes is like perfect timing and everything. But that is what this character is. It's even if it's it's even in his name, Blade. So uh, yes, yeah. Uh, more than anything, I dig the performance. Um, the special effects are great. Now, Norman Reedus plays kind of a sort of dim-witted uh, tech assistant or whatever. I'm not sure what you call that character. Uh, but a it's, sidekick. Yeah, I guess he's a sidekick. Uh, he's always kind of back at headquarters, you know, working on some techie stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is watching Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Man after my own heart. Um, you know, this is absolutely better than Boondock Saints 2 All Saints Day. If I have to watch a sequel with him in it, I'd rather watch this one <laughs> than that crap Boondock Saints thing. Um, but he's fun to watch in this one. He's he's kind of kind of dopey, kind of silly. Uh, I think he gets killed toward the end of the movie. Which is yes, because he betrays Blade. Yeah, um, 
but he makes it somehow 23 seasons of The Walking Dead and doesn't get killed. So there's that. He might get killed at the very end. I don't know. I'm I kind of checked out of that one again. But uh, yeah, it's good to see him in this. Um, what did you guys think of the performances other than Wesley Snipes? Uh, I thought Luke Goss was very good. Uh, uh, he was um, surprising for me because uh, when I was a kid, he was in this uh, uh, band with his brother called Bross. And uh, uh, I, I didn't like them at all. They're one of those Stock Aiken Waterman products. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I had no affection for them at all. And then when I saw he was one of the lead characters in this movie... I was like, oh, you know, what's that going to be like? But he's really good. Um, so he he's in Hellboy 2, as I say. Um, he, he's not only played the Frankenstein monster, but he's also Frankenstein. <laughs> in, uh, kind of. Uh, he's, he's, he plays the Frankenstein character in the Death Race sequels. Okay. Oh, okay. And he plays Frankenstein's monster in the Hallmark version in 2004. Yes. Oh, by the way, the, the guy who plays uh, Overlord Damascinos, uh, Thomas Kretschmann, he was in Dracula 3D. Oh. But then he also played Van Helsing in the 2013 Dracula. Man. He played the praying mantis in Dracula 3D. And then uh, the other um, uh, cast member I was really excited about was uh, Donnie Yen. Yeah. Uh, he he's, he did a lot of the uh, the uh, martial arts coordination, so uh, I, I guess he was, um, and also he, he can't show up. Uh, Wesley Snipes, so right. he has like one one good fight, and then he kind of gets thrown away. But uh, yeah, that was fun to see him. Yeah, um, having a you know a good martial artist on set is always going to improve your your movie that relies so heavily on the, the fight scenes, you know, to kind of carry the action. You know. Yeah. The, the, the film better in this one, you can tell like in the, in the first movie, you can tell like uh, the, the stunt people were really good, but the way they were filmed was so chopped up and that it was filmed too close and it yeah. didn't do them justice. And this one, they, they know to pull back and let them do their stuff. Yeah. This, uh, <clears throat> this one, kind of doesn't let up on the action for more than a few minutes at a time. It seems like it's not a very talky movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of goes from action scene to action scene. Um, well, I think you know, another big influence in this, you can, uh, well, I, I felt the influence of, uh, James Bond films, uh, you know, there's gadgets, there's super agents, underground, you know, criminal cabals, um, boss villain base, Double crosses. Uh, yeah, and all those, uh, the, the quips and the uh, editing. Yeah. Now you mentioned... Yeah, I can see that. You mentioned gimmicks, and yeah, there is, there's definitely a very James Bond feel to all the UV-emitting bullets and bombs. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how a UV-emitting bullet would work, but uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, and the, and the effects they use for a burning-up, disintegrating vampire... That that really works, where they yeah. they have that kind of glowing ash thing and then start to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, uh, well, there was a whole subplot about um, this Damascinos guy um, and his son. Is it is it his son? The yeah yeah. Um, He's consider he considers him a failure because of his weakness to sunlight or something like that. Kind of a weird little subplot going on there, but uh, but his his plan is to harvest Blade's blood in order to um, um, help him develop the immunity to sunlight, and make him into a quote unquote daywalker. Yes. So that's kind of a you know kind of cool to have that little thing running in the background there. Um. And uh, what do we uh, what do we consider the best fight scene in this? I don't know. Yeah, I, my mind my mind keeps going back to uh, uh, the part where he um, 
Don't they find out that uh, what they think is a, a an explosive device on Ron Perlman's character actually isn't? Right. Yeah. Just faking him out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that the sequence surrounding that I found pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, anytime, anytime Blade is using the boomerang thing and the swords, you know, it's, it's like I'm all in for any of that stuff. Because there's a scene where he has to fight his way. Um, through the henchmen and that's one of those no matter who they throw at him he's going to take him out yes just a matter of how many moves so yeah i'd say that's probably my favorite fight scene but uh yeah that's a couple of those zinger moments there yeah the what was what was perlman's character called reinhardt reinhardt yeah whether people uh tend to complain about sequels or not uh here's here's one that's a good argument for yeah they can get it right you know just because it's a sequel doesn't mean it's going to be you know going back to the well and doing the same thing exact same thing over again this is something where they um they, they threw some new stuff at us and it was pretty pretty cool pretty interesting stuff um I don't think I have any other notes on this one. Um, I almost kind of feel like going into IMD, IMDB and finding uh, if there are any goofs. <laughs> but, um, critical response was mixed, um, apparently. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has this film with an approval rating of 57% based on 150 reviews. Which means, wow. which means it's kind of on the failing side of a pass fail grade. If you look at it that way, you know, six, you know, not even 60%. I, uh, I didn't like it as much in the rewatch as I did the first time, because the first time, uh, in, you know, back in, back at that time, it wasn't a good Marvel movie. Right. Well, yeah, there'd yeah. been several attempts. And uh, so this one was especially exciting because they, they did it well. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I found, yeah, it, I didn't like this one as much the second time around, but, um, and I, I liked the first one better this time around. I, I appreciated it more. Uh, I think the first one is much more inconsistent, um, but it, the uh, the opening's, seen like the first 10 minutes of the first blade movie are terrific yeah uh, where, where he, he enters into this nightclub with a the where everything's just covered in blood <laughs> and uh, do you remember it was it the, the, yeah a little bit with the, yeah this disco behind this this uh, slaughterhouse and that they you know they they uh tracy lords lures someone in and they feast on him and then the they activate the the water sprinklers, but it's still blood. Yeah. And then Blade turns up, and you know he's going to take on everybody. Um. But yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Great opening minute, opening scene. This um, franchise, I again, I don't know how it went with the third one, but uh, it seemed like uh, it was an unusual choice because not everybody knew who blade was it wasn't the most popular comic book ever Mm -hmm. so i guess a better way to say that is it seemed like a bit of a risk that they chose to do this uh in the first place and then to dare to do a sequel seemed like maybe even more of a risk but it it paid off um i'm kind of curious how blade 3 did as (laughs) as far as like box office but uh i'm gonna look that up while we're talking yeah that's, that's not very good uh it's got uh jessica beale is great in there uh, but there's so much annoying about it yeah it, it feels more dated uh, everyone's in uh, low-rise bootcut pants and <laughs> um it, everyone seems to have spent more time in the gymnasium than working on the script right i'm looking right now it it uh, still made money. Um, it didn't do. It didn't do as well as the first or as the the first sequel, uh, Blade Two. Um, this one had a budget of sixty five million, 
and it did a box office of uh, a gross of 132 million. So it still made significant money. Yeah, that that would be enough to uh, it'd be okay. Uh, but the first two made three times what they cost. Right. Yeah, it's it's not enough to just you know make thirty percent. You know, you want. Right, I think with some of the more uh, fun uh, Marvel movies, they're taking the less uh, well-known characters, like uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, right? Because uh, they they can really play with them, and um, you know that they don't have all the baggage that the major characters do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this, um, let's see, uh, if we're going to c- compare uh, also the, like the Rotten Tomatoes rating, this one gets a, a, an approval of 25% based on 167 critics. So that gave it, that gave it 4.4 out of 10 rather than 6 out of 10 stars or whatever. So yeah, it was not well received compared to this one. And this one, Blade 2, wasn't incredibly well received except by the kind of people who probably should be watching it. And that's the kind of thing that I always like to point out is like, I would listen to some of these critics, these movie critics on television. And it's like, you you guys, it's like being a food critic and going into a hamburger joint and going, how come this isn't a delicious sirloin steak? Why is this a crappy burger? Well, you went into a burger joint and you're, you're a food critic. What are you doing? And and I kind of feel like a lot of film critics don't understand what it is they're looking at. But yeah, and this this Blade Two is really fun. It, it's made by uh, comics fans. Yeah. Uh, just trying to make a good comic movie. Uh, you know, this is this is a movie for people who like see the explosions and go, "Ooh, that's Kirby Crackle," right? <laughs> and have the little geeky nerd out. Yeah. Which is, which is me. Yeah. This, yeah. It's like not everybody is the audience, you know, you can't, you can't show this to everybody. And that's kind of how the critics seem to look at it is like, oh, well, when everybody goes to see this, this is what their experience might render. Well, yeah. If, if you, if you like, uh, um, melodrama and you like, uh, these really talky movies and really, like deep character study stuff. It's like, well, okay, well you got that, but that it, but this isn't that. So I, I think like this, this movie knows its audience, I guess is a better way to say that. And, uh, delivers to that audience. And when people aren't that audience and they look at this picture, they might be a little confused. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, now I run a really talky blade. Yeah. I want to, I want to know what made blade the way he is. <laughs> yeah, I like how these movies get his origin over with. You know, by the end of the credits, you know everything you need to know. Yeah, yes. yeah. I think that's how most of them should be. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it funny as a kid. I loved origin stories, you know. But uh, now it's just like, oof! It's I don't want to sit through another one. No, no. <laughs> And uh, for for most people, I think that that little voiceover at the beginning, and he's what's known as a daywalker, and what he does is this, and he goes out and does this at night. He's Blade. Whoosh. <laughs> you know? Thank you. We don't need you to... Yeah, and the, the first movie, by the end of the credits, you know why he is what he is. Yeah. Um, he was bitten by a small dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a response. Here's, here's, here's the dog walker. <laughs> he was bitten by an exacto blade. <laughs> right. Uh, I've done that. It's it's terribly painful. All right. Well, uh, let's do the uh, recommends. Will, what do you think? Sure. Blade two is a sure. Yeah. Why not? All right. Put your face towards it. Yeah. If you don't like moving your face around. I got kind of tired of it, to be honest. I, it started out well. I enjoyed it much more the first time I watched it, I think, because it had some twist and whatnot to it. And like you said, it was an earlier comic book movie. Most of them hadn't been very successful. Yeah. Um, this, you know, yeah, it did feel more of a comic book. Uh, 
but watching it this time around, I, I felt that it was a little too long and, uh, I got tired of just punching. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, you go into it expecting that you'll be fine, but Hey, and if it's a first watch, you might dig it even more. Yeah. Cool. Jolian. Yep. I recommend it. Cool. Cool. Same here. I, I dig it. And I feel like I was watching it again for the first time because it had been long enough since I had seen it. So I kind of had that first time experience with it over again. And um, yeah, a little bit really enjoyed in it. 20 years. Yeah. It's been long enough. It's easy to forget most of a movie. All right, guys. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Um, call it a show and, uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, hopefully Ziggy will be back with us. She's back from college. Yay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll let her pick something and then uh, skip my turn that time. Sound like a plan? You can go after her. Or, or that. Yeah. Yeah. That, hmm. that sounds good. All right. All right. Well, let's call it a show, guys. Thank you very much. And listeners, thank you for listening. Time bananas. <laughs>